Good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the elders here. And before we read the passage, I thought um, as we we're going we're gonna to read Ruth 4 in just a bit here. But I thought before we read the end of this passage, um, for those of you who haven't been able to be here um, each of the previous three weeks as we've gone through this uh, chapter by chapter, I thought I would do a little like previously on the book of Ruth, uh, so that we know where we're at, so that then we can, we can finish and, and have some context. So um, Ruth begins, um, uh, Naomi and her husband Elimelech are in, uh, in and around Bethlehem, and there's a famine, and so they decide to leave the place that God has uh, made for them. They leave and they go to Moab, and um, Elimelech dies at some point, and um, Naomi's two sons, they take Moabite wives for themselves, and they, they live there about 10 years. Um, her sons then die, and so she is left um, with herself um, and these two widows of her, her sons. And so um, they're, they're destitute. They don't have uh, a way to own property or a way to make a, li- a livelihood for themselves. And so they decide, um, or Naomi decides, I'm, I'm going to go back to where I came from, where I know there is provision um, laid out by God for people like me to, to go back and glean and, and have some sort of, of way, some sort of hope. And so she begins that journey back, and, and at some point she realizes, like, um, it'd be better for these two widows of my sons for them to just go back with their people. And so she encourages them, go back, go back to your parents. That's, that's going to be better for you. And, and so one of them does, and then the other, the other one, uh, Ruth, says, says no, uh, I'm, I'm going to stay with you, and, and um, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, and, and I'm going to be with you until, until I die. And so, so Ruth goes with Naomi, and they go back to Bethlehem, where they um, glean in the field. So they're just kind of taking the leftovers from this field, um, hoping to make a way for themselves, and... Um, Boaz notices them and, and says that he'll take care of them and they should glean in his field and kind of under his provision and he shows care and um, kind of a, a culture of caring for, for those less fortunate. And then, um, so that's chapter two. And then in chapter three, um, Naomi encourages Ruth to kind of uh, proposition Boaz to, to redeem them and to uh, be, be their redeemer, to uh, marry Ruth and kind of restore them and restore the property. And so that's, that's where we're at. And, and like, like Tim said last week, uh, that's the plan, but we don't know what's going to happen. So here we go. We're going to come into chapter four and we're going to find out what's going to happen. So um, Zaley's going to come up and she's going to read our passage for us. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the fields from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. 
Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from, a, from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amminadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have made yourself known to us through scripture. Um, I pray today, as we finish the book of Ruth, that we would um, learn more about who you are, that we would know more of your faithfulness, that we would know more of your, um, your great love for us, um, your character, your provision, your omnipotence, um, and, and ultimately walk away um, loving you more for who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as, as I said, um, we ended chapter 3 with um, Boaz saying, we're going to take care of this, we're going to take care of this today, um, and we're going to find out about this Redeemer who's, who's closer than I. And so, um, chapter 4, verse 1 says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And so, at the city gate is where they would have done business um, commonly. You know, there's not going to be like a, a city government where you go to the courthouse and, you know, go to the assessor's office or, you know, look up the deeds. They, they did things in the, in the gate with the, the elders and the kind of uh, prominent, respected community members, and they, they talked about it together so that multiple witnesses could corroborate the story. Be like, yeah, this person did sell this land to, to this person and, and just kind of had a, that's, that's the way they, they commonly did things. And so that's where he went to do this business that needed to be done. Um, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken, he came. So that makes sense. They're in the gate. The Redeemer comes by. Boaz probably knew that that would be the case. And so Boaz says, turn aside, friend, sit down here. Um, and he 
turned aside and he sat down. And so um, this, this is kind of interesting. So turn aside friend. Um, this friend term here is uh, translated a few different ways, but it's kind of literally like Mr. So-and-so or Mr. Such-and-such or such a one or kind of just like some guy, like that guy. Like, so Boaz was like, hey, hey, guy, come over here. And so uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, I mean, I would think Boaz knows this guy's name because he knows as uh, Ruth approaches him to be the redeemer, he says, there's, there's someone closer than I. Like there's a relative, like, yeah, I'm, I'm a relative, but there's a relative even closer than me. So like he knows this family relationship. He probably knows this guy. And so probably he, he calls him by name here, but the, uh, the author uh, leaves it out. Um, and there's a, a few reasons why, but it could be that because, spoiler, he doesn't end up redeeming, uh, that maybe they, they leave him out kind of as a, uh, not a, maybe not a shame, but maybe not like he's not worthy of the honor of being uh, named here um, as an option, or, or it, could, it could just be like he's, his, his name's not important, and so we're going to move on. So that's just an interesting uh, side note here. So anyway, he sits down because they have some business to do, and so then uh, Boaz gathers 10 men of the elders of the city, and they sat down, so they're kind of the witnesses here as they're about to do this, this business. Um, and he says to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. Uh, but if you will not, tell me that I may know, for, for there's no one else besides you to redeem it, and, and I come after you. And so Boaz is saying like, hey, here's the deal. Naomi's back. And as, as we know, and this would have been uh, at this point, it's, we're looking at the kind of redeemer uh, passages that Tim talked about a little bit um, last time in Leviticus 25, and uh, where if a, a family member, you know, falls on hard times or um, there's, there's a few different situations, but basically like they have to sell what they have um, to make a living or whatever else, then a, a relative could, could buy that property back and this uh, family member could, could work for them for a time to, to earn it back. Or um, in uh, the year of Jubilee, so every seven years, they would, they would turn that property back over to this family member to kind of restore them and, um, as a way to, to keep the, the property within a certain family uh, long-term. And so that, that's kind of what, what they're talking about here. And so the... So the Redeemer says, I will redeem it. Done. Check, you know. So Boaz comes and he says, like, we're going to take care of this. And he tells the Redeemer the idea. And the Redeemer says, sounds good. Let's make it happen. Uh, and from this Redeemer's uh, perspective, kind of how Boaz presented the deal is, is I think, interesting. It's, it's shrewd. It's, it's tactful. Um, but Boaz, he, he leaves out some details, which we'll, we'll catch here in a bit. Uh, but from this Redeemer's perspective, he's, he's buying this, this property back, which is a, an honorable thing to do for a family member, right? Um, he's kind of restoring honor to a, to a relative. And so that's, that's a plus, right? I can do that. Also, he's, he's gaining control of some property. And probably Naomi is past childbearing age. And so she's not allowed to own property. And so he can buy this 
And then her, her line ends, the line of Elimelech would end because her sons have died and she's past childbearing age. So he, he purchases this and then, then it's his. He's, he's probably not going to have to turn it over to anyone else. And so he, he gets to buy this land. He gets this honor. Pretty good deal, right? And so he's like, I'm in. Let's make this happen. And Boaz, uh, then he, he gives a little more information here. Boaz says, uh, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. And so then a little more information here. Uh, so he says like, oh yeah, by the way, uh, I forgot to tell you, um, they're actually, one of her son or her sons got married. And so we have actually Ruth and she's kind of a package deal. And, you know, you'd marry her and... Uh, the way that works is uh, any offspring that they had, their first, their first offspring would then inherit this land that he's, he's looking to purchase. And so if they have one kid, then this, this deal, the thing that he's, he's going to spend money to buy back is going to go to this child. And so his children that he previously has, they don't, they don't get that. Goes to goes to this to, you know, pass on the inheritance. Any subsequent children, then that they kind of go under his, and then it's, it's splitting his inheritance farther. And so he says, like, uh, hold on, hold on, wait, 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 wait. We haven't, we haven't done this deal yet. He says, uh, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take the right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And so he says, like, this is not, this is not quite what I had in mind. Um, and there's, a, there's, scholars have a few reasons why, like, Maybe he's married and he, uh, which he probably is, is already married and he doesn't want to, you know, diminish his inheritance, but probably it's just like, seemed like a good business deal, turns out not a good business deal. Um, and so he, he says, he says, I'm not going to do this. Uh, I think, I think Boaz is, is, is kind of interesting here. He kind of hooks him. He's like, we're going to get this done. And so rather than putting it all out there and maybe the guy's like, well, I need to kind of count the cost and see what's going on. He he gets the elders are here. Everybody's here. Like, we're ready to make this deal happen. We're going to sign these papers. And the guy's like, yes. And then he gets the rest of the information. He's like, oh, everyone's here already. <sighs> okay, no, I'm not going to do it. And so, so it's, it's a done deal. And so um, <clears throat> you, might, you might be asking yourself at this point, well, uh, what was the custom of former times concerning this, this deal? Like, how, how do they seal this deal? Well, good news. Chapter six, or verse 7 says, Now this was the custom in former times in the land of Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging uh, to confirm a transaction. One drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. So this isn't a sandal, but it's close, right? They took it off and, and he gave it uh, to him. Now, um, this is a little bit uh, different. So in Deuteronomy 25, um, let me flip there real quick. Deuteronomy 25, we, we have uh, actually a little more, little more detail on this. Um, so uh, if, and this is concerning Leverite marriage, which is what, what this is kind of talking about. If, if the, the, the brother, so this is specifically talking about if, if a husband's brother refuses, um, then she goes to the elders and tells them, and, if, and they, they would come before him. So this is almost like a church discipline kind of situation, it kind of seems like. Um, or, or at least there are some parallels there. Um, so then, let's see. Uh, okay, so uh, 
Deuteronomy 25, verse 8. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then the brother's wife shall go up uh, to him in the presence of the elders and shall pull his sandal off his feet and spit in his face. Uh, she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. So, so clearly, clearly here, like in, in Deuteronomy 25, there's, there's an element of shame being put on the person who does not redeem his brother's wife. Um, now, we don't know all of the details of all of these things. We don't even know this guy's name, but probably this wasn't a brother. And it seems like things have changed a little bit. Um, and maybe, maybe Ruth is just okay with, with the situation. Like she preferred Boaz anyway, so she's not going to spit in this guy's face because it's like, hey, that's ultimately what I wanted. Or maybe it wasn't the brother. And so there was an understanding of he didn't quite have the same obligation as if it, if it was the brother, but there's some uh, obligation. And so we're not, we're not quite sure why it has changed a bit, but there's, there's some change. The, the, the sandal, um, from what I have read, is, is kind of a, one, I think it's something to help remember. So like there's an exchange happening with the sandal, but uh, most of the time scholars are saying this is like uh, symbolizing the right to like walk on this land. Like this is, this is your land now, and so you have the right to, to walk over it um, is kind of the idea. So anyway, the deal is done. Um, and so in verse 8, we see Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. He drew off his sandal. Uh, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day to, uh, that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And so the deal is done. So he, Boaz did what he said he would do. He would see to the matter and he did that. He went to the other redeemer, did things the right way, um, which is fitting with Boaz's character that we've seen so far. Um, and he is going to buy back the property. He's going to marry Ruth. Okay. So then the people, so in verse 11 now, uh, all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. And so then what, what's going to happen here and kind of how the, the rest of uh, the sermon is going to be structured is we're going to look at um, some blessings that are, that are said by these people. And so we're going to kind of look at each, each person and kind of how that fits with what we've seen so far in the book of Ruth. And so the people said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. So um, there's a few, a few things here that I think is interesting to look at where, where we've come before we talk specifically about this, this blessing. But um, Ruth, she's from Moab. She's not, she's not the right people right? She's not the right family. She's not the right people group. She's not from the right place, right? She's, she's outside. She's Moabite. She's a widow. She's poor. Like she, she literally, in terms of like this marriage relationship, she has nothing going for her. Like she, it, it's all against her in terms of like her, her heritage, where she's at, her place in life is all against her. But, but by faith, we see in Ruth 1, uh, when Naomi is, is kind of pushing her back to her, her family, pushing her back, honestly, to her foreign gods, back to her, her parentage, 
Uh, Ruth says, uh, do not urge me to leave you or to go uh, or to return from following you. For where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I die. And there will I be buried. Uh, may the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So, so Ruth had faith partially in, in her love for Naomi, but also explicitly stated in God. She says, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And so that, that's what started this, this path for Ruth here. Okay, it, It's faith. Faith that, that the God of Naomi will provide. And so, so what happens? Well, she, she goes and, and that faith brought her down a journey and she, she works hard. She is noticed by Boaz, who, who ultimately brings her in and marries her. And the people, rather than keeping her as an outcast and saying like, she's a Moabite, she'll always be a Moabite, and, and looking down their nose at her and judging her for, for her upbringing or where she's from, uh, things that she can't help, they look at her and they say, may she be like Rachel and Leah, the, the matriarchs of, of their people. Okay, they could have pointed to a few different people. They could have pointed to, to Sarah, right? She, she was up there, right? They could have pointed to a few different people, but they, they specifically say uh, Rachel and Leah, who gave birth to the 12 tribes, right? And, and they all can point their, their heritage back to these two women. I think it's also interesting. Um, Ruth uh, was married for 10 years in Moab and didn't have any, any kids, which at that time would not have been probably a choice, right? So probably there was some infertility, um, there, uh, we, again, we don't have the details. We don't know a lot about that, but they wouldn't have chosen to be childless for 10 years um, if they could have helped that. Um, Rachel and Leah in scripture both had times where they uh, were unable to conceive children. And God opened their wombs and blessed them, and they had a multitude of children that came from them. And so I, I think that's an interesting, an interesting thing. Maybe these people knew that about Rachel uh, or about Ruth, um, but, but that's, that's the connection that they make. So, so by faith, this woman follows her mother-in-law to God's place to be with God's people, and they, they welcome her, they bless her. Um, and ultimately, we know later that she's in the lineage of the Messiah, which we'll, we'll get more uh, to that later. And so the question that, that I have, that I, I, as I've wrestled through this, which I have loved this book so much, and just it's been such a blessing to me in thinking about uh, what the impact it is for me now and, and how uh, the New Testament uh, contemporaries would have thought of this and some different things. But um, one of the questions that I thought of was like, so, you know, when, when Paul or when Jesus says to go to the nations and preach, preach to all the nations, uh, not just Israel, uh, you know, that would have bristled some people probably. Uh, like, does God really care about the nations? Does God really want to bring people from outside into God's chosen people? And I think we can look at this book of Ruth and say, like, absolutely, yes, he does. That, that's not a new thing, right? Ruth is not from his people, but he welcomes her in to his family, um, and, and the people accept her, and they bring her in, and they bless her. 
so let's, let's move on. So then, um, still in verse 11, so it goes from uh, Ruth, and then they, they switch to Boaz, and, and so they say to Boaz, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will uh, give you by this young woman. Um, and so Boaz, um, he's an upright, upright man in the community. Um, we've seen, as, as Sean pointed out, like he's built a culture of, of caring for the less fortunate. Um, remember, there was a famine in the land, right? And so it would have been, uh, you would think in the world's eyes, acceptable to say like, I need to protect what I've got and take care of my people. And so you gleaners, you people on the fringes who are coming in and trying to take, take what I've got, like we don't have enough for you right? You, you, you go find your own stuff. But Boaz looks at what God says about um, gleaning and about those who are less fortunate. And he says, God, God, is, God is right, and I'm going to trust in what he says. And so it seems like Boaz's, Boaz's workers and his people are, are listening to that, even though uh, now they have enough, right? Now there's, there's grain in the land, but they've built up this culture of, of trusting in God and what God says and not trusting in themselves and what they can protect, right? And so um, we see this in Boaz. And so this idea of him being upright, uh, worthy, and renowned is, is not really, probably not a new thing, but they're just, they're like putting a blessing on him, like, hey, you've been this way, continue to be this way. Like, uphold God's laws, uphold God's ways, be generous, and, and be renowned, and may you be blessed. May, may this woman produce for you children. Like, like Perez, may, may you have many, many offspring. Uh, and so that's, that's the blessing that they, they put on him. And, it, and as, I've, as I've thought about Boaz and his, his uprightness, his righteousness, he's, he's put on, kind of on a pedestal in, in Ruth in, in a good way. Um, and they bless him, certainly, in that regard. And I, I go to thinking about, like, where, where does this... Where does this go? Like, other than just like, Boaz is a great guy. We should be like Boaz. Um, and, but this blessing um, that he would have, have offspring, that his name would be renowned, um, that he would be, you know, act worthily. We think about, you know, a few generations later, Saul's not living up, not living up to God's standard. Where does Samuel go to find a king that will live up to God's standard? He goes to Bethlehem, right? He goes to Obed's son's family, right? So, so he's, he's going to uh, Boaz's line. And so I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm reaching or just making connections. This isn't explicitly stated, but like Boaz, this upright man, he has a son, his son has a son. And a few generations later, when they're looking for an upright man to lead the nation of Israel as they want a king, where do they go? They go to the family of Jesse, looking for a man who's, who's righteous. And I think, again, making another, another leap here, but uh, the threshing floor, you know, maybe that's in the middle of their farm, maybe that's in the community. And so, you know, as, as Samuel comes and he's looking for this king, uh, where do you think he would have met Jesse? And they, you know, they line these sons up and they're, they're talking, maybe it's right there. Maybe it's right there, you know, in that same, that same farm, that same family, that same area where we see uh, you know, David anointed as king later on in this, this, this farm, this same area, you know. Um, I don't know, that's just 
That's interesting. And, and maybe even, you know, David, as he's writing Psalms, talking about how precious God's word is. You know, Psalm 119, how, how wonderful his word is, how, how, uh, how it brings life to him. Like, I wonder if he's thinking about his, you know, his, what his dad has taught him, what his grandpa has taught him, what, his, what, what the stories of Boaz, his great-grandpa, you know, and how God blessed him because of his faithfulness to God's word. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not, you know, we don't see David saying, this is because of my great-grandpa. But like, you can imagine, you know, how they viewed uh, the patriarchs of their family. Like, looking at David, thinking about uh, what I was taught by my father, that was taught by his father, that was taught by his father. And so that's, I think that's just a neat, a neat thing. And I think it ties right in with this blessing uh, that is given to him. And, and ultimately, Boaz, we see, um, redeems, Ruth redeems Naomi um, in this. And so we, we see him as, as a lesser redeemer. We'll talk about that a little bit. But Boaz uh, is righteous, and he is kind of a, a, a pointer to Jesus. Um, and like I said, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more um, at the end. But um, they go on. So this blessing is pronounced by, by the people who were there. And so Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. And he went into her. The Lord gave her conception. And so where she wasn't able to have kids for the first 10 years of her marriage, the Lord gave her conception. She's able to have kids. She, she bears a son. Uh, and the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Uh, I'm going to pause there just a second before I read the last bit. Um, so I want to contrast that part just a little bit with um, something Dan read in verse uh, chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 1, uh, verse 19, uh, when Naomi arrives at the scene in Bethlehem, uh, the women said to her, is this Naomi? And she says to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And so when she shows up, she is distraught. Remember, she left God's place. She left God's people. Her husband died. Her sons took foreign wives, which would have been a shameful act. Then her sons die. And so she has these two women who she's, she's responsible for with no way to care for them, all by herself in a foreign land. And she's walking back shamefully to her people. And they say, like, is that, is that Naomi? And she just, she's, she's rock bottom, absolutely rock bottom. Uh, of her life. And, and I mean, if you think, I don't want to put us in too depressed of a place, but like, like put yourself in her shoes for a second. Like she has nothing apart from trust that what God says and how his people will take care of those less fortunate is maybe true for her. That's it. That's all she's got. And so it leads me to, to questions, uh, if, if, if I was in that spot, 
And I'm sure Naomi is thinking, like, why is God doing this to me? Why is everything falling apart? And so when you have, when you've been in, in a low moment or like the lowest of the low, like think, think to that for a second. And, and those, those questions are real. Um, like I've, I've been there when I don't know why this is happening. I don't understand what God could be doing in this moment and why it has to be done to me. Um, and so I don't know. I like, I don't know for you when, when things have happened, why specifically, or like what the end result is. And I think, I think also like uh, when I've tried to comfort people, like it's hard to know what to say. Right? So I think of like Romans, I think of Romans, uh, and, and these verses are so helpful and encouraging, but also like we're fearful to say them to someone to, because we don't want them to sound flippant, right? So like Romans 8, uh, 8.18, for consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, right? And that is true. Like, praise God that that's true. But they're like, if you're one of the visitors in a uh, uh, funeral and you're walking through and you just throw that at somebody, like they might not accept that very, very kindly. You know, like that, that can be viewed as like a, uh, just a throw off. Or a couple verses later, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You know? And so like, so how do you, how do you encourage someone? You know, like, like, cause that is, is that true? Yeah, that's true. That's a real true thing. But when you just say it with no context, like that, that can be like, how, you know? So like, think about Naomi, she is crawling back in the pit of despair. You know, if, if she were to, to have the new Testament in that moment, and she reads this verse, like, how's she going to view that? Right. That's hard. But we know at the end of this story, like, do you think at the end of this story, Naomi would read that? Like, what would she say? She would say, praise God. Yes. And amen. That's true. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know why, but now it's true, right? That's true for me. Um, and it, it, it goes, you know, the, your daughter-in-law who loves you, who before she's standing right next to her as she's explaining to these people, like, the Lord has brought me back empty. I have nothing with Ruth right here, right? And now we're, we're hearing like, Ruth, this, this woman who loves you, she's worth more to you than seven sons. And so... Uh, that's just totally been flipped. She was Mara. She was bitter. And now she's, she's full. She's blessed. Um, she has a redeemer, a restorer of life, a nourisher of her old age. Um, and so we, we have this redeemer. Um, and one thing that I think is so, so encouraging and so neat, um, like Naomi, at the end of this story, like those passages in, in Romans uh, that I read, um, Consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory to be revealed to us um, and God working all things uh, to the good of those who uh, love him. Uh, those are true. And I, th- I really do believe Naomi, at the end of her life, would look back and say, like, that's true. He did that. I didn't know how, but he did that. But she didn't know half of the good that God had for her. She did not know that David the king was going to be born from this child. She just knew that she had an heir, that she was going to be taken care of, 
right? But Samuel, the author of Ruth, years later, looks back. He knows David's on the throne. He knows David's the king. And he sees, Naomi, God did more for you than you knew. Not only did he give you someone to take care of you and to buy back your land and restore you, you're in the line of the king. David the king is your great-great-grandson. Right? How amazing is that? She didn't even know the good things that God had for her, even at the end of her life. She didn't know. And we can look back knowing the rest of the story and say, Samuel writing this down in the book of Ruth, he didn't even know. He didn't even know the good that God had for Naomi or for David or for him because we know ultimately Jesus, the true king, came from that line. And so like the good that God had for Naomi lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted and kept paying dividends for eternity, right? And so the pit of despair, she had nothing. Right? She had nothing, and she trusted that what God said was true, and that, that that had to be enough for her. That's all there was. And so at the end of the story, we see the, the lineage. A son was born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So David, boom. They didn't know this, right? They didn't know David was going to be born a few generations later, but he was. And then it reiterates the genealogy. These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David. So we get it again. David, right? It's all pointing to David. That's all pointing to Jesus, right? And that's, that's what we get. And so at the end of the story, I think, I think it's neat. We have three different people who showed faith. Faith in God. It looks vastly different, right? What did Boaz do? Boaz had faith in a hard time, in a famine, to do what God said, to do what's right, to uphold God's word. Right? He had faith that that would, be, that that would be the right choice. So he's in a good place, right? A hard place, but a good place. He, he upholds the truth. He does, he does God's word. We have Ruth, outcast, foreigner, no place at the table. She has faith that what God says, what Naomi's told her about God is true. She believes. And we have, we have Naomi, who has nothing. She's from the right, right people, but she's broken, right? Life has been hard. She believes. She has faith that what God says is true and that that'll be enough. And so we have these three people, different circumstances, different backgrounds. They believe, and they're all seated at the table together, brought into the family of God, by God. And so, um, and, and it just keeps going. We see, we see, you know, the author of Ruth pointing back, saying they didn't know. They didn't even know how good they, they got it. And we can look back and know. He didn't even know, right? That, that Jesus the King, ultimately, all of this points to Jesus. And we see God's sovereignty. We see him working all things together, bringing out the Messiah, bringing out the King, caring for these people, upholding the, up, the upright, um, bringing in the widow, bringing in the, the poor, um, all those who trust in him. And so we should know, we should look at this story and be so encouraged. See God's care, see God's consistency, see God's faithfulness, see that he does care for the outcast, for the foreigner, 
Uh, He cares about his name. He cares about righteousness. He works it out in the lives of individuals and over the course of all history. And ultimately, all of that points to Jesus. And so as we, as we move forward, the application is just, just whatever, whatever situation you're in, like look to Jesus and trust that his ways are good. His ways are right. What he says is true. Even when you don't see how that's going to work out in the end, it's true. And it will work out for your good. Let's pray. Father, you are good. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for, for who you are. We see just a small picture of all the things that you're working out in our lives. Um, I pray that you would, by your spirit, cause us to, to want more of you, that you would cause us to trust um, that what you says is true, what you say is true and right and good for us, and that we would believe it and that we would do it even when we don't understand how it's going to work out or, or what that looks like. Father, I pray that you would cause us um, to be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus every day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.